God bless you. Yeah. What a great morning already. Thank you, Mark. I'll have that one. Thank you. Someone can open that up for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. We've had a great week this week. So busy. And then yesterday happened. <laughs> and I may say, can I say, runner-up in the Springs uh, Golf Tournament yesterday. We came runner-up as a team of four in 42 degrees heat. It was actually 44, Jules. I didn't want to tell you that. She gets a bit worried that I'm drinking enough and wearing hats. And, but, um, yeah, uh, 1.3 of a point we missed out. And uh, thank you, Frank. So, yes, I am still dehydrated, maybe. Father, we come before you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. I hope you've got your Bibles ready. Take some notes. I'm going to whiz through something that, okay, so we've, we've had some great services. We've been talking about healing and um, renewal and recovery of our souls, which I really do believe the Lord is doing at this time of, of uh, the, the season, not this season, uh, of Christmas so much, but this, the prophetic season, God is uh, desperately trying to recalibrate the church, realign the church. Uh, you know, he's coming back for a spotless, uh, without wrinkle church. And, and I do believe, really do believe that we need to be standing on the solid rock of Christ in these days, these very complicated days, um, days of uh, great calamity out there, humanitarian disasters all over the place. Uh, we are the church, we're the answer for a broken world. That's why Jesus come, that's the reason of the season, amen. And we should celebrate that with gusto. We should celebrate that with cheer. And the world should see our celebration, it should see our smile. And it should see our, our disposition of heart to, to smile and to be joyous and to really have this effervescence of love, to be able to reach out and to, to offer kindness and, and goodwill to all men, amen? And this is how we should be, not, not so much, you know, being protective and self-preservation. I, I know we're all trying to manage our emotions, and again, I hope you're doing the pause app. John Eldridge is the ministry, I believe, for the hour to help people's soul. Uh, their mental health, but that ministry is for the hour. Trust me, that pause app, who's doing it? Can I have a show of hands? The Resilient Course, 30 days. If you're not doing that, and we've told you once, twice, three times, I just don't know, I could drag you to that water, drag you to that water, and, and, and no, I don't want to drink it. Well, I just can't, Lord, I'm doing my best here. And um, you know what I mean? So, but you need the word. Your spirit is nourished by the word of God, and your mindset is attuned by the word of God. Not Marvel movies, not, um, you know, the wonder of the imaginations of man, which can, too much of that can actually send you out uh, into another orbit. Uh, I'd like to go into that, the battle of the mind. But, Father, this morning, I, I know that this is a great season, the miracle, and Jesus probably wasn't born, can I just say that first, the bubble, probably wasn't born on Christmas Day, but let's not get into that, um, but he is the light, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Um, but look, I, and I do, in saying that, I do want to go behind the scenes to the, um, the nativity scene, which is such a beautiful, who's got a nativity scene in their, in their house, Amen. And look, I, I don't want to steal any of that joy, but there is, there is behind the scenes. So this morning we showed you behind the scenes to some of the people's lives. You did so good, Carly Wade. You did so good. The power of God was all over you. Shared so brilliantly and uh, so graciously. Thank you so much. And, uh, but, but we like to have a look under the hood, so to speak, under the, under the hood, and check, uh, we don't do that now, do we? We only can touch the, the yellow parts, the, the yellow, okay, you touch that. In our day, we used to take the whole engine apart, <laughs> you know, we used to take the whole engine apart, going, Rah! you know, at age of 14, I'm taking, taking apart Holden motors, you know, reconditioning gearboxes, you'd buy the reconditioned uh, kit, 
you know, for $30, Frank, uh, uh, and, anyway. and, and so you'd take that home, you'd pull your gearbox out, you know, you're only 16, but, you know, you'd drop your gearbox out on the front lawn, your mum's going, you all right, you, you, you're good for that, yeah, no worries, this is easy, and you put a new gearbox, you know, you, you recondition the gearbox, and, uh, but, you know, that's the days baby boomers grew up in, and and I'm not sure what's happened since then. Anyway, I won't digress. But um, now you can only touch the yellow, the, the yellow component. The, it might be the dishwasher. The windscreen. The, windscreen. <laughs> the dishwasher. <laughs> so I've had a hectic day. The Saturday, what happened? We were living our life comfortably as a, as a beautiful, you know, uh, elderly couple. And, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then we got inundated by, by life, and uh, we love it. We love our kids. We love our grandkids. They run. They think it's a giant big dollhouse because it's, you know. Thank you, Shane. Shane and I built our, our house, and, and 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 today I hope to allude to who Jesus was uh, in his vocation of life up to the age of thirty. So Jesus went public. When he reached 30 and he was pronounced, uh, he was allowed to go public through that wonderful miracle of turning uh, water into wine. Who wants to have a look behind the scenes of the nativity? Do you want to help me do that? Let's just pray. And um, because Rick Renner, um, wonderful ministry, outstanding teacher. He's an American, but he's been in, in Russia uh, for 40 years uh, as a church. He's played, he, he's done such a good thing. He's been very sensible of, of um, navigating the, the real strict culture of Russia. And they've privileged him to go into the archives of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church. And they have, the Russian Orthodox Church, have a lot of history uh, outside of the Bible. You know, the stuff that, that was accounted for uh, by historians like Josephus and, and, you know, real historians that accounted for it, and they're in their archives, and the Russians have never given it away to anyone. It's, it's personal to them. It, 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 they're proud of it. They've archived it. Uh, but uh, Rick Renner, who's an outstanding teacher, he has been privileged to go into the archives and check out some of the real facts behind the nativity uh, scene. Are you up for that? Are you ready to get your mind blown, actually? Are you ready to get your mind blown? And uh, I don't want to blow up that beautiful nativity scene you got happening, but I, I will, actually. <laughs> so, Christmas 23, amen, here we come. The rest of the story is the, the sermon uh, entitled. Uh, I love the season of ge- generosity, and I did have a scripture. Look, I, I did ask Julie to do a PowerPoint, because I love to show and tell, and, and some of this could be a little bit askew, but I've got stuff here, I've got stuff there. I will try and get through it in a show-and-tell uh, format. Is that cool? Uh, I'll, I'll do it like that, show-and-tell. So not much preach at you, but just to give you. Because I read something last night, my son-in-law uh, sent me an outstanding book of theology. Is it? Can I say publicly, Garth has finished his... Is, is that a, can I say that publicly? Garth Ball, my son-in-law, who got saved in a in a uh, Easter weekend, two thousand and one, two thousand, um, after three months of attending church, he's a bit of a brainiac. Things have got to really make sense for him to sign off on. He's got an outstanding mind, uh, very cognitive, and um, and three months. This guy went through revival meetings. I don't think you guys were there, but some others were there. You were there? 2001. No, yeah, you may have been. May have been. And, and, and so finally, on this Good Friday, um, th- this lad, we didn't know who he was. Uh, he'd already left school. He's probably 16, 17, uh, 18 he was. And, um, oh, he was at school. All right. So God caught up to him three months. Oh, dear love. God caught up to him, and he gave his life to the Lord. And, um, but he took it seriously. He wanted he, he, The first book he bought, borrowed from me, he saw my library, borrowed J.C. Uh, R- R- no, R- Ryle, uh, Ryle uh, English theologian, a book on holiness. 
it's, it's, I've only read two pages of it. It's just like, it's hard going to read it. But he wanted, to, he wanted that book. He said, can I borrow that? A book on holiness, you know? And I said, yeah, sure, you can take that. And of course, he actually read it. And uh, <laughs> I could tell because it was, you know, it looked like it had been read. And, uh, but this was the start of an amazing journey of this lad. He ended up from school to... Uh, he ended up, I'm just mindful of, he ended up from school teaching, attending um, C3 Bible College, and, and, he, and he volunteered there and was helping with missions and, and Bible College, um, and then he got a heart to start a church in, uh, married my daughter, I should, I should put that in there, married Gemma, Jamie, uh, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> so Jamie. And uh, he, he, uh, they, they now, now listen to this. They they fell in love in between the church services in the tent, between the morning service and the after evening service. Um, we had all our equipment set up, miles of gear, and we were the, the guys were on a roster. The church was on a roster, um, and so Garth. And Jamie seemingly were on that same roster between, anyway, having time out and talking. And so they fell in love, got married. Um, and so Garth and Jamie, Jamie at school had, had been visited by the, the choir, the Sawada choir. And she got this seed and prophesied over as a six-year-old. Africa, Africa. So she had this big map of Africa in a bedroom. Mary, Mary's Garth. Garth's already been through Africa because his family go all around the world. Uh, and, and they go, hang on, Africa. Yeah, I love Africa. What about, yeah, I love Africa. They started the church eight years ago in Nairobi. And, um, and a lot of us know, know that in terms of supporting it and giving to it. Um, and praying for that. And that church is going very well. Thank you. Now they are going to start a church in Dubai, Dubai, in the Middle East. And they're working on it. Now, Dubai government said you cannot start a church and you cannot preach in Dubai unless you have a master's of theology. So Garth had to go back to school and crash course, quick trek, a master's theology course, which he finished Friday just gone by putting his final thesis in and um, isn't that isn't that a great story so they will start and they have a contingency of people in Dubai um, some very good people um, good capacity people in the government in, uh, in in different business sectors and they are looking for a spirit-filled church and they're looking for something like what Garth wants to start uh, as a church. So please pray into that. So we are really a church about equipping and releasing and, um, and of course, this scripture, Proverbs 10.21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Let me pray before I start my message. I will try and do a show and tell. Here it is. Father, just pray with me. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the complete meaning of Christmas. We breathe in the miracle of Christmas. Lord, we enjoy the season of family, food, and presence. But help us keep you at the center of Christmas. Amen. So this year, as you can tell, we don't have Santa in the house. We made a decision that we would sort of aesthetically uh, give glory to God through our... Uh, look at this stuff. Look at this. This is great. Frank made that. He's, he's awesome. So every good story promises... Uh, it does promise something, something great. And, of course, Christmas does that. And, of course, in a hopeless world uh, full of distress, revealing why Christ come. Uh, is, is paramount, I think, to the world at large right now. So at, at the beginning of human history, I have written here, God promised a rescuer who, who would come to fix our brokenness. When he made good on that promise, he did so in an unexpected way by sending 
his son, the anointed one. He is the savior who lives in us. He is the king who will return to us. Can I hear an amen on that? Christmas is the season of great joy. And we are invited to experience the story, to unwrap it, to reveal the promises of God continually, but especially through friends and family this Christmas. For unto us a child is born, the scripture says, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born and is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, meaning the kingdom the kingdom that is coming will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's beginning Christmas for centuries has been celebrated at the start of the traditional church calendar year, and we're so thankful about that. Now, there's a word called Advent, A-D-V-E-N. I just, I'd love to get into this because they're celebrating Hanukkah, which is the celebration of light. And I will use this, I will condense this little, um, I, I, I guess, reference to Hanukkah, which the Jews are celebrating, um, because it is about this, it is about the light. So let me just say this, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, including you and I. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Don't you love the beach? Don't you love the things, the nature, the birds? God is a, an amazing creator. Verse 4, in Him was life, and that life was the light. So where there's darkness, seemingly there's chaos and disorder. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And all of a sudden, creativity was set loose. And God made sense of all this matter and all the materials on the earth. That happened by the, by the light. And so in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light is an amazing thing. I was 100 meters down um, a, a Welsh mining uh, a mine, a tunnel straight down, 100 feet, 100 meters, I forget. But it was certainly very dark when I got down there. Absolute pitch. When the guy turned out the light, it went absolute, the most pitches black I have ever seen and felt and experienced, it was palpable. The darkness was palpable. I can only imagine what it was like in the very beginning when it was dark on this planet. It's the most disconcerting feeling actually waking up. And I did wake up in Fiji on a missions trip and we in a hut on a strange island and Julie gave me a poke and there was some chanting outside our little hut. We were near the water and I could, Julie said, there's chanting out there and these were the Fijian fishermen drinking that juice, what is it? Guava, Guava juice. And they, I think they were getting, a, and they had it. Kava. Kava. And I think they were enjoying it, and they were chanting. Maybe it was some sort of ceremony. But getting up into the pitch dark and realizing you don't know where you are, and then you hear chanting, it's very disconcerting. <laughs> no electricity, of course not. No, it wasn't. And um, so the, the light is what we want. Jesus is the light. The light has come to dispel the darkness. And Hanukkah is a celebration of the light. So the temple was uh, desecrated just before Jesus came, a couple of hundred years before that. And the, the temple of God, the main temple of God in Jerusalem was desecrated by the Greeks. They came and did this awful sacrifice on the altar and they just, just ruined the place. And these Maccabees, these brothers, these, this family... Jewish guys rose up and said, enough's enough. This has, got to, this has got to go. And they came against, with a warrior spirit, they came against the Greek, Greek army and they pushed them out of the temple. You love this stuff. Pushed them out and pushed them out of that land. And then they found, they had this um, candelabra 
which was seven-pronged. They found it in the rubble, but they had no oil. The oil needs to be prepared over a week. They found enough oil, they said, that could only last a day, maybe a day. So they propped up the candelabra in the temple of God. They fed it the oil that it needed, this sacred oil, purified oil. And they said it will only last a day, but it's supposed to last longer. It's supposed to last, uh, you know, seven days or so. But they lit it up, and guess what? The light and the oil lasted and lasted eight days. And that's why we have Hanukkah. Supernaturally, God multiplied that oil and that light shone in the temple for full eight days. That's why we had a candelabra now with nine, nine uh, candles. One is Christ at the center. Amen. One is Christ at the center. And the, eighth, and the eighth is about the eighth day it lasted for. And that's a celebration of the light. And Jesus attended that ceremony of Hanukkah. And, uh, and they got around him. The Jews got around him. So what are you doing here? You know, if you're, you know, so they started to ask him some hard questions. But he basically said, they were out trying, to, trying to ascertain, are you really? Because there's this big prophetic controversy around Jesus and born, you know, uh, in the supernatural way he was. And is it really him? Is he going to be the Messiah that will deal with the Romans and deal with our plight in the physical? And Jesus basically had to say to them, well, I am that one. But, and I have told you enough already, but it is more about eternal life. It is about eternal life, not fixing your problems down here. So things will happen, you know. Long Jetty will get hit by a mini, mini hurricane and, and stuff will continue to happen. But we know this, at the end of the day, we have Jesus and we have eternity and that is the absolute most important thing that through this conflicted planet, we have the light to walk out our days by, and we have, this, we have God who loves us enough and so much that he will lead us through all the stuff that we go through, and at the end of the day, we have eternity. Amen? So let's do this. Make this Christmas truly special. Shine the light of the season this season. This season, would you do that for me? Would you shine the light this season? Father, I thank you for that awesome festival that is still enacted now, but actually, Jesus is the light. Um, not now, thank you. Let's do this one Isaiah 7 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so Emmanuel is God is with us. Um, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, There is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is a worthy saying that Christ did indeed come. Jesus came to save us from our sins. You can see that. And why Mary? All right, let's cut to the chase. Why Mary? Why was Mary chosen? Um, why did God choose Mary? It was a huge assignment. And Luke 1, 26 to verse 30. Can we do some scripture just for a moment? Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel, this is the, one of the major angels of heaven, Gabriel, was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So there's some prophetic stuff there. We'll tease that out. The virgin's name was Mary. Say Mary. After having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. How would you like that said to you? Blessed are you. You are highly favored. But when he saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with 
God. All right. So uh, Mary was from a little, little obscure town called Nazareth. A lot of you would know that. Little agricultural town. I didn't really know this, but it's only about 150 people were living there at that time. It's off the beaten track. Uh, John 1.46, Nathaniel, when he had an encounter with Jesus, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. It's like, wow, can anything really good? I mean, in, in the 1980s, I'd go to work at Summersby. And uh, Julie and I bought in Wyong when Wyong hadn't been renewed and, and it hadn't gone through a revival. It was a tired and it had oldest, uh, it, it had a, a funny um, stat and it, it had the, the oldest uh, per capita, the oldest people living on the Central Coast were all living in Wyong, all living in Wyong. And I said to a guy at the table at the, at the workplace I was at, he said, where do you live? I said, why? I said, why are you living there? It's so dark. And he said, even when you drive through there, it feels dark. And, you know, and uh, this is 1988, of course. And I said, well, you know, we bought there. We were on the river. We got a lovely piece of land and bought a lovely little cottage. And he said, wow. And, uh, well, Julia and I didn't know where, where we had bought. And then we started to look around and realize, yeah, they're pretty downtrodden here, but the miracle was we saw Wyong change with the introduction of SRE teaching in the high school, which yours truly was part of, and the prayers of the saints, which we, uh, this church, were a part of, we saw Wyong change to a beautiful, simple country town, and I'm starting to think, this is so blessed, this little town, and I'd go to Gosford and think, now, they've got troubles. You know, they've got troubles, man. Gosford, I mean, Wyong was a simple country town. And it was changing the more we were worshipping God, having church in the, in the primary school hall, the high school hall, and then eventually on the lookout. We were praying all those years, and we saw Wyong. And even people, now that guy, by the way, was unsaved. And he was telling me that it was a dark place. He's unsaved. I said to him, are you saved? And he said, no, I'm not saved. He said, oh, it's funny you use that reference, dark. And uh, so the more we released the light, the more it changed. And we saw this year in, year out. It wasn't the grooviest place to live. All our groovy friends lived at Terrigal, you know, because we went to church at Erina, and Terrigal people seemingly had their act together. But not really. When you looked under the bonnet, no, they were as... Uh, they, they were as broken as the people in Wyong were, amen? They were just better at covering it up, amen? So Nazareth means shoot or branch. All right, come on, Lord, help me. Isaiah 11:1 1 says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. I'm getting into some prophetic narrative. Now, I did, was going to tell you that Garth gave me a, a piece of a godly literature last night, and it said this, unless you know the story, you will not know your identity within that story. Unless you understand the narrative of what's happening on the world, in the world, your identity will be misplaced. Did I say that right? You will, some guys think, well, some of these guys think they're Iron Man, I'm sure of it. I mean, you know, but no, not really. You know, you can actually get misconstrued of who you are by what the culture is telling you who you are or should be, you know. Influences may be influencing people to be a caricature of someone they are not. But the Bible will tell you who you intrinsically are made, that you are created, you are a piece of workmanship, the Bible says. You are created marvelous, awesome, in your mother's womb with a destiny and a purpose, skill set and, a, and, a, and an amazing ability. But some of you, I grew up through going through school thinking I was dumb because my report cards told me that. But then I realized I learned by another way. And then I realized, hang on, I'm not too bad. And so prophetically, in the 90s, I did some adult learning and then I was in this amazing situation where I was shaking hands with the Minister of Education on the stage with the, the gown, you know, the gown, the hat, 
And I'm going, how did this happen? I'm the, I'm the guy that least to succeed, but this is our God, heaven. And Julie said, this is amazing. You hardly did any good at school. Now the Minister of Education is shaking your hand. A branch of David had moved into Nazareth just for you people to want to understand more of your uh, story. And it represented David, David, King David's royal bloodline. It was a branch of the Davidic line. Joseph and Mary actually were, de were descendants of David. I'm talking about King David. The, the angel Gabriel said that her son would sit on her father's throne, King David, the royal branch, from the royal branch. So... Jesus was born into the Davidic line in a little obscure town called Wild. No, Nazareth. And Luke 2 4 suggests that. Joseph also went up, Luke 2 4 says, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David. Now, this was very important that Jesus was birthed from the royal bloodline. The prophetic narrative was that the, that the Messiah needed to come from the Davidic bloodline of King David. I'm talking about just for the new people to church and, and God. This is King David. This is the Goliath slayer who's anointed, who was, was anointed to become king of Israel. And the prophetic word said that there would come one from the Davidic bloodline who would be Messiah. Now verse uh, Luke 1.32 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Luke 1.69, for more evidence, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. There it is again. And Romans 1.3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. That is a huge big stamp on the validity of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I get a hand clap from that? Mary carried royal blood in her veins. Luke 1, 26, 27, I said that. Jesus sprang from the royal line, king of the Jews. Nazareth, now here we go, was near the town Sephorus, four miles away on top of a hill. This was an amazing town, a pristine town. Nobody really knows this, but Jesus lived an hour away from this amazing, bustling town. I'd like to give you a photo, uh, if we can, in the moment. Just, just bear with me. No, we'll get there. Nazareth was the town, Sephorus, four miles away on top of a hill, pristine city called Sephorus. Uh, King Herod was in there, a tetriarch, and he claimed it for himself, and he said, I'm going to create this as my capital. Um, and so the Romans were there, and they were, yes, they were ruling and presiding over matters there, but this is literally a huge town near where this little one-horse town was, Nazareth. We had one, uh, four miles away this town called Sephorus. According to the apocryphal gospel of James... Mary was the daughter of Jochim and Anne. Jochim and Anne. Before Mary's conception, get this, Anne had been barren, the mother. This is the mother of Mary, of Mary. Anne had been barren, was far advanced in years. Mary's earlier life in Jerusalem, her parents, in fact, they say, were very wealthy and gave much resources to the work of God. Her father, in fact, does anyone know? Mary's father was a scroll writer. Early Christian writers tell us that her parents prayed, Lord, give us a child. They were elderly and had no children. They made a vow that they would consecrate their child to the Lord all the days. Anna gave birth to their child, to the Lord all her days. Anna gave birth to a child, and they called her Mary and dedicated her to the purposes of God. Anyone had parents like that? In fact, they instilled to her at a very young age that she was purposed for God. 
You are purpose for God, these old, older parents were telling her. Um, she was enrolled in a special school near Jerusalem, training her specifically in the Scriptures. She was taught that she was brought into the world for a very special reason. As we teach, uh, we, I hope that we're doing the same for our children, amen? Children, you are born for a special purpose. Child, you're born. We should be telling our children that. Have we dedicated our children like that? Her parents, let's have a look at that picture. This is the parents dutifully showing her the word of God. They instructed her that she, okay, let's back it up. Her parents raised her to be spiritually sensitive, taught her to love the word of God. They instructed her that she was the handmaiden of the Lord. You loving this? Willing to do whatever the Lord asked her to do. So when Gabriel showed up and spoke a surprise word to her, she didn't argue with the Lord. She simply said, let it be your will, Lord. Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. Who's ever had that experience? Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After her mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, which was a fulfillment of the prophecy, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Luke 1, 28, I think I've already quoted that, but, and having come in, and the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And I need to read this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Can we say that name? Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Ah, it's right on target. This is the narrative that we believe in. And we have a reality check in and we have consecrated our life to. Amen. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Good news. Give the Lord a hand clap. No end. We live forever. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Amen. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And, now, and, and this is now the sixth month of, who, of her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She was told at a young age, You're a maidservant. You're a maidservant. You're a maidservant for a very young age. Then she says to the angel, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mm, I love this. Mary was highly favored awesomely favored. She did a brilliant job of raising Jesus. Jesus would follow her all the days until he grew up, and then Mary followed him even unto the cross. Amen. And she sang that amazing song. I'd love to, to, to quote it, but for time, Luke 1, 46 to 55, she writes this amazing, concise appraisal of what this moment means. And she sings this song, this prophetic song, Jules. And of course, that's in your Bible in Luke 1, 46, 55. She was a woman of scripture. She was of faith. And of course, she fulfilled absolutely the prophecy. Now, why Joseph? Why Joseph? Who wants to know about Joseph? Who wants to know some good stuff about who wants to look? Yeah, let's do this. He worked at Sephorus. Um, it was, he, they, they believe he worked at Caesarea, where Julie and I had visited when we went to 
uh, Israel. But Sephora is that town on a hill, pristine town. King Herod had, had, uh, had it rebuilt and it was a, an amazing town. This was literally four miles down the road from Nazareth. We don't hear this stuff. Josephus, who was a, uh, uh, an historian, he called Sephorus the ornament of Galilee. Herod Antipas chose the site in 4 BC as the capital of his government. He, must, he most likely built the theater that was there. Josephus said Sephorus was, that's the Roman historian, Josephus said Sephorus was the largest city in Galilee and an exceedingly strong fortress at the time until the first revolt in AD 66. Now, Sephorus, there's some great artwork out there. I couldn't, didn't get it, didn't have time. But can we have a look at the colonnaded street? Colonnaded street. Yep, Sephorus was rebuilt and fortified after Galilee came under the rule of Herod, he made Sephorus his capital until he built Tiberius in AD 19. Some scholars believe that Joseph and Jesus, here it is, you ready for this? Some scholars believe that Joseph and Jesus may have helped in the reconstruction of Sephorus. Since Herod Antipas rebuilt the city about four. BC, and since stone is the main building craft of the area, Joseph, living in the nearby town, Nazareth, was probably a builder in stone as well as wood. Sephorus was about an hour's walk from Nazareth. The colonnaded street was built in the Roman period and was one of the main streets of the city. I think that picture is up there. The largest and the most beautiful city in the region. Mark 6.3, Mark 6.3, oh, this is awesome. Mark 6.3, just leave that one up there. I'll just quote this scripture. Mark, Mark 6.3 gives us the response by those in Jesus' hometown. When he returned to teach in the synagogue, is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James. All right, that's an English translation. Carpenter is an English translation. And we jump, of course, our mindset, we just think he was building tables and chairs. That's a cute view. Um, but the New Testament word for that carpenter is tecton. The Greek word tecton what is tecton in the New Testament? It means this, highly advanced, masterful artisan. The word can mean carpenter, but equally can mean artisan, craftsman, builder. It's mostly associated with construction and architect, being an architect. Tecton, a builder, not so much with wood, but it can be, but a lot the probability is that it was stone in that area, not so much carpentry. Tectons, now get this, this is Jesus, this is his vocation, this is his father's vocation, Joseph. This is how this, this young Jesus grew up. He wasn't a Nancy boy, he was someone amazing. Tectons were highly compensated. He was qualified to be entrusted, Joseph was qualified to be entrusted with great riches in Luke 16, verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So Joseph proved himself faithful with the riches of the world, and of course he was given this permission to be the father or the stepfather of Jesus. Joseph was merciful, and we could get into that. There's a lot of narrative in there where he was very merciful with Mary when he found out she was pregnant. This was extremely controversial. Before they had legally formulated, he found out she was pregnant. And, and, uh, but he was attuned to the Lord and was quick to obey. And you see that in, in Matthew 1.20 when an angel visits him and, and, and also when he was told to uh, leave with the baby at the age of two and leave and go to uh, uh, Egypt. And of course, 
Uh, Joseph was quick, let's do it, let's go. So he had a deep trust in God, Matthew 2, 13 to 14. Joseph was a spiritual leader. He went to the festivals, the Hanukkah festival, that's why I mentioned it. God chose Joseph, why? Joseph was a descendant of the lineage of David. Uh, Of course he was. He was trustworthy with wealth. He was merciful and kind. God knew Joseph would be a spiritual leader for his family. And when God placed his eyes on Joseph, he knew he could trust Joseph. I got to tease out, I got to tease out that word a bit more. Tecton. Jesus was a tecton, not a carpenter. Joseph was a tecton. Did you get that? Now, 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 now listen to this. Masterful art, I'm quoting, masterful artisans who possess the abilities to mentally envision what others could not see and who could create with their hands a fabulous final product. I quote again, create, were able, tectons were able to create wonders. Can you just put that photo of that, of that just go back up to that Joseph holding and he's looking out over Sephorus. Just put that up there because this is actually... Joseph, the father, stepfather of Jesus. Masterful artisans who possessed the abilities to mentally envision what others could not see and who could create with their hands a fabulous final product. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just, there's a couple of guys in this church like this, I'm I'm sure of it. Maybe Frank and maybe Shane Hutcher. They're like tectons. They're like this, create wonders out of matter, out of bottle tops, and could manipulate materials in a marvelous way that surpassed ordinary technical skills and had the ability to create shiny and splendid things with an extraordinary beauty. It, does, it doesn't make you guess when, the, when you hear a scripture, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in. And yes, they were master stonemasons, masterful stone carvers, architects, the chief overseer who directed other builders and other artisans in a massive building project or even a building supervisor, highly advanced, masterful artisan. I'm sorry to blow you out of the water, with the understanding that Jesus was just a little table, a little carpenter building tables and chairs. But Jesus helped probably restore Sephora as, as a site foreman, as someone who can conceptualize and help, and, and help, uh, des- help design, but also help implement all the designs that they had for that city. Magi. Who wants to hear about the Magi? You want to hear about that one? Again, I'd love to read some scripture on that. The Magi were the most powerful men in the East. You can, let's just see what this is. Wise men, plural form, Magi. The Magi, a Median group, a Median group of priests and astronomers strongly influenced by Daniel. I'm nearly done. By Daniel. They they were priests that had so much spiritual clout. When they traveled, they traveled with a vast army. A vast um, army accompanied them because usually they carried riches for the kings and the dignitaries that they blessed on their way. So they had a vast army around them and they were, the, they were feared. Herod feared, and when you look at the story, when Herod found out the Magi were coming, Magi, the Magi were coming, he go, what are they doing? What do they want? Because those Magi could dispossess, dispose kings and they could put people in place too. They had spiritual clout. Yes, put the Magi up if you could. Any photo of them. 
the Magi were the most powerful men in the East in particular. In Babylon, they traveled with armies. Even the Roman army were afraid of these guys. So that's your nativity scene photo. No, we need to open that up. Oh, has he got it? I don't think he has. Have you got the one with the horses, the Magi with horses? No, it's got a big, big army behind it. I don't think it went in there, Jules. I didn't see it. So these guys, these priests that could read the constellations, maybe Wade was, maybe Wade could have been one of these guys. They could read the stars, the constellations, and they knew a king was to be born. They came to Herod. Herod goes, what are they doing? What are they coming here for? They could even disrupt and and put fear into Herod. Herod got very nervous. But he got nervous too because they said there's a king coming. No, just not an ordinary king. A king of kings. And he got very nervous. He tried to trick the Magi and they were on to him. They didn't go back to him and tell So the low-level kings the Magi would bless, they would bless them with 110 kilo of gold. Like $5 million in our current. Now these guys weren't just dropping off um, gold, uh, just a few bars of gold or frankincense for a priest, myrrh for death and burial. In fact, someone became instantly rich and that would have been Joseph of Aram, is it Joseph who bought the tomb? Has anyone got it? Arimathea, thank you, Richard. Joseph of Arimathea, the uncle of Mary, the brother of Joseph, who was highly trustworthy. When those riches were given to Jesus, And by the way, the commentator said, I cannot give you a figure of how much was given to him because a lowly king would get 120 kilos, 110 kilos of gold, a low king, but this was the king of kings. He actually didn't want to put a figure on the amount that Jesus was given. Can we go back to that, the the Magi giving the gifts to Jesus? These gifts were symbolic, prophetically symbolic, but they were his treasury that God the Father instituted for the upkeep of his ministry. By the way, when did the Magi turn up to give these gifts? How old was Jesus? Very good. Katrina, two years of age. Not, when he, not that night when he was born. Two years had gone by, and the Magi came to where? His house, Jesus' house. He was only in Bethlehem 40 days. Now he's back at Nazareth. And of course, the word was out that Herod was mad, and he wanted, and he was absolutely diabolical, this man. I don't want to give it any description to him. He was like an antichrist. And he said, who is this king that has been born. Who is he? All the two-year-old children must be. And so an angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, get out of here. You've got the funds and the finances. Get on your bike and get out. And Joseph, being the man of God and being very obedient, he took his family and went to Egypt. Ah, thank you. The tr- how, what would you do with so much treasure? The uncle, uncle Joseph, was given the, 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 the treasury and he took it to that main town, Sephora. He took it there and deposited it into the banks that were resident in that major city. And that's how he was able to buy the tomb for Jesus. 
that's how he bought the tomb, which was very expensive. But historians say Joseph of Richard of Arimathea became rich overnight, the richest man in that region overnight. All that wealth that Jesus was given was put in a treasury for him and for the ministry and for the upkeep of the kingdom. Father, we're just amazed at this story. We're just absolutely amazed. Christmas. Such a great story. Such a great story. This Christmas, Lord, I pray this, that you would illuminate in our hearts this great story that, Lord, seemingly speaks volumes of your perfect plan that was fulfilled from the very beginning. Jesus born from the Davidic Davidic royal line. Somehow, God the Father kept all that online. Somehow, they landed in Nazareth. Somehow, Joseph and Mary were from that Davidic bloodline. And somehow, Mary fell pregnant. Somehow, these angels visited, spoke to the shepherds in, 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 the, in the night. Surely, surely, Jesus, you were born for the salvation of the world. Let's all stand, God bless you. You were, you were born so that, Lord, we could become followers of you. So that, Lord, we could receive salvation. Do you know your narrative, your story is way more grander, way more wondrous, way more fantastic, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm just pondering you and just thinking about the wonder of the Son of God being birthed in humble beginnings all those years ago, 2,000 years ago. Yes, he did bring great priests. There was a great spiritual peace that he brought, but not peace to the, to the world as such, which they were all hoping for. But Jesus is coming back again. The second coming. He's coming back again. And did you hear the thunder and lightning last night? Jesus is coming back like that. Not quiet, in a manger, sheep lowing. Jesus is coming. A trumpet blast. The shout of the King will be amongst us. And he's coming back to judge the nations. He's coming back to set things straight. To solve the Gaza issue, to solve the Israel issue. He's coming back through the East Gate. We've been there, Julie and I have been there. He's coming through that gate that has been blocked up by a certain other religion. We'll show you, he's not coming back through that gate. Block it up. We're going to even put a graveyard of our people in front of it. Let him try and get past there. You can see, well, I've been there. He's coming back. 
He's coming back through the east gate into Jerusalem, which they're fighting over right now. The King of Kings is going to deal with humanity and deal with the nations according to His righteous judgment. In the meantime, we celebrate this victorious gift called eternal life. Close your eyes right now. Father in heaven, I pray that if anybody does not know that they have eternal life on the inside of their hearts, this morning I pray that you can receive it in a nanosecond. You can receive salvation. It's a simple gift. It's for free. You simply need to believe in Christ Jesus, that He was the Savior of the world. And He is the light that has come. I would love to say a prayer for anyone who's not quite sure if, if, they're, if they're saved or not. I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Phil, but I, I'm not sure if I'm ready but why don't you begin a journey when you say yes to Jesus, the lights come on, the light comes in. We're crawling across that 